My pleasure to welcome you this morning as Community of Grace Baptist Church is gathered together, assembled to, to worship, and uh, uh, have passed out a, the lyrics to the, to the tune, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Um, we'll sing that as, at the conclusion at the end of our service. I was surprised when I found out that wasn't in our hymnal, so Amanda was kind enough to print out copies of that hymn. I wanted to, us to sing that today. Um, and uh, and so uh, that will that will come at the end. And uh, um, this morning for our call to worship, I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 45. <clears throat> Psalm 45. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at the return to our study of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit being gentle, gentleness, uh, which that word also translated humility or meekness in the Scripture. And here in Psalm 45, we see that the Messiah, the Christ, the, the coming King, the promised King, will come and uh, in truth, humility or gentleness and righteousness. The, the, the coming King, the Savior of the world, the Messiah is a humble, gentle warrior. Psalm 45. To the chief musician set to the lilies, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love. My heart is overthrowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer, than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty ride prosperous, prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. In your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, the people's fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness, the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad, king's daughters are among your honorable women and at your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also in your father's house, so the king will greatly desire your beauty. Because he is your lord, worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing, clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. Instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore the people shall praise you forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you this morning that we can gather together and 
offer you our praise and our worship. Lord, we're thankful for the freedom that we have as Americans. Lord, as we pause this weekend to remember those who have gone before us, those who have laid down their lives, those who have given the, the ultimate standard of devotion as they have fought for and died for the freedom that you have given us. Lord, we recognize as Americans that our rights are given to us by you, our creator, and not by our government. For those rights are secured for us by those who fight and die for our freedom to preserve these rights that you have given us. And Lord, we're thankful for uh, 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 soldiers and sailors and airmen and marines who have stood between us and the war's des desolation and sacrifice so that we might be free, that we might have the freedom to come to this place without any fear, uh, to come and, and worship and assemble and proclaim the gospel, the good news. We're thankful for the freedom that we have, and we're thankful for the price that was paid so that we might have it. And Lord, help us to commit to hold tightly to that freedom and to, uh, to stand and ready to defend it in our generation and in our time. And Lord, we're thankful for the King of glory, uh, the Prince of Peace, who came in strength and gentleness, strength and humility, and served by laying down his life so that we might have life and that we might uh, be born by your Spirit and be able to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the bride of Christ, the church, and uh, the opportunity that we have to be members of that body and to be part of the bride of Christ and to be arrayed in righteousness and glory so that he might be magnified and exalted in us. And so we're thankful for the church and we're thankful for the community that we have and the opportunity that we have to assemble. And Lord, we pray that as we have assembled to worship, your spirit would enable us and empower us to receive the cleansing that you have provided for us, Lord, to be clothed in white garments, that we might stand before you with clean hands and pure hearts and offer you worship that is in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 237. Hymn. If you would, take your Bibles as we continue to worship and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We are working through chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We have studied each of these fruit uh, individually and look to apply them to ourselves. Today we come to the topic, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. One commentator said that gentleness is one of the hardest words to, to translate. It's translated humble or meek or gentle and uh, used many times throughout the scripture in different ways that we will talk about today. We'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit being gentleness. Uh, to set this verse in its context, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 5, verse 13, and read through chapter 6, verse 1, which also contains the word gentleness. So Galatians chapter 5, beginning in, in uh, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty... Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the love is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And brethren, if a man is overtaken... In any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you are a God who has spoken to us, and you've spoken to us in a way that is true and uh, complete and necessary for our spiritual lives a way that is profitable for us, and a way that is also uh, sufficient for us. And so, Lord, we recognize your word is perfect. Our understanding of it is not, and we are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. And, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would produce his fruit in us, Lord, that it would be said of us that we are gentle, that we are humble, that we are not arrogant, that we are not conceited and that we serve one another in love. Lord, grant us a teachable spirit, and may your spirit teach us, and may he produce his fruit in us, the fruit of gentleness. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we've come to the, to the highlight of our worship service where God speaks to us through his word, and, and we're confronted with his truth. And as we come to the book of Galatians, we have seen that uh, there were some in the Galatian churches that had been raised in the law and raised as strictly living to the law of God, and they saw the law as a restraint upon their flesh. They saw the, the law as the only restraint for their sinful nature, their sinful desires, their sinful affections. They had ordered their life by the law, lived by the law, hoping that the law would restrain their evil desires, the desires, the lust of their flesh. And when Paul came to the Galatian churches and began preaching the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, these who had been dependent on the law to restrain their natures began to be afraid. They began to be afraid that uh, people would come into the church and they would bring their sinful desires. If they were told they didn't have to obey the law, they were not under the law. The law could not save them. The law could not sanctify them. The law could not do anything for them. They are saved by grace, God's free gift, God's kindness, and, and kindness and grace alone, through faith alone and not works of the law. People were afraid that, that, 
these pagans, these Gentiles would come in off the street and come into the church and bring their evil desires, their sinful natures, their bad works into the church with them. They were afraid of the consequences of the message of saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so after Paul left, false teachers came and began to teach that you've got to obey the law. You are under the law. You are bound by the law. You've got to restrain your sinful desires, restrain your sinful flesh by lining up under the law. And they perverted the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ. They added uh, law to grace, works to faith, and self-effort to Christ. They wanted people to be restrained and to not bring their evil practices, their sinful desires into the church. So they taught the law. And Paul writes the book of Galatians as a correction, calling people to return to the gospel, the pure gospel, that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that we are helpless, hopeless sinners. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. The law cannot save us. The law shows us our need for a Savior, how helpless we are, how depraved we are, how sinful we are. And Jesus came and fulfilled the law and fulfilled the demands of the law against us lawbreakers by dying on the cross. And God proved in his resurrection that his sacrifice was accepted and that we're saved by God's free gift, God's grace, through our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And so Paul writes this letter as a correction, and he says what really restrains the flesh is the Spirit. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we have been born again by the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit produces the fruit that these legalists are looking for. It's the Holy Spirit that produces righteousness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, not the flesh, not your self-effort. If you're trying to keep the law, you're working in the flesh, and the flesh will not produce the desired fruit. The flesh does its work, which is not uh, goodness, but is idolatry, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, those works of the flesh that are listed there. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit that the people were looking for. And so we've been looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and today we come to uh, the fruit of gentleness. And uh, uh, this is not necessarily as straightforward as some of the other things. We've talked about love and joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Today we come to gentleness, a word that is variously translated. I said it's translated humble, it's translated meek, and it's translated gentle here, gentle and lowly. And so there's a, a lot of different ways to look at gentleness. And one of the ways we can understand it is to go to the Old Testament to see how the word translated, the Greek word translated gentleness translates words in the Old Testament. And it, it speaks, first and foremost, its, its primary usage is to describe one who is in servitude, one who has no rights of his own, one who has no property, one who makes his living by serving others. He has no rights, he has no property, he has no way of making a living. He lines himself up under the authority of another. He does not demand his rights, but he serves. He earns his bread by serving. 
He is a slave. He is a servant, and he has an attitude of subjection, submission. He lines himself up under the authority of another. That's how it's used in the secular marketplace, but in religion it's used of one who serves God, who lines himself up under the authority of God, who recognizes that he is helpless, that he is hopeless, that he has poverty of spirit, there is nothing that he can do to earn God's favor, to earn God's acceptance. He is uh, on the mercy of, dependent upon the mercy of God, and he lines himself up under God's authority. He subjects himself to God, recognizing that he brings nothing, he can do nothing for himself. He is totally dependent upon God, and so he serves God alone. And it's interesting, the word gentle is never used of God in the Old Testament. It's never used of God the Father in the Old Testament because God does not serve anyone. God is not subservient. God is sovereign. He is the master. He is the ruler. He is the one that people come and line up under his authority. Uh, God is not uh, called gentle in the Old Testament. He is not lined up under anyone's authority. He is sovereign he is subservient to no one yet the Christ the Messiah the suffering servant of God that we know in the New Testament to be God the Son the Son of God that Christ that Messiah is called humble and gentle the servant we read in uh, Psalm 45 4 in your majesty ride prosper prosperously because of your truth humility and righteousness the king the king of salvation the messiah the deliverer is called humble gentle lining up under the authority of the father god the father who sent him also in isaiah chapter 40 verse 11 speaking of the messiah the christ the good shepherd isaiah says he will feed his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. The Messiah is called a gentle leader, a gentle shepherd. He will lead his people with gentleness. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly or gentle, humble, riding on a donkey. And so this conquering king, this warrior from heaven, this savior, this deliverer is gentle and lowly. He lies himself up under the authority of the father. He humbles himself. And becomes obedient even unto death, even death on the cross. And so God the Son, the Son of God, leaves the glory of heaven and is clothed in gentleness, in humility, in lowliness. He takes the form of a servant. There's nothing about his appearance that would attract us to him. He looks like an ordinary man. He shares in our weakness. And he is obedient, submissive to the Father, lined up under his authority, 
not demanding his rights, but being obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. Up to the point where on the last night of his earthly life, he, he prays, If it be thy will that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. God the Son, the Son of God, gentle, lowly, in humility, lining up under the authority of the Father. So the first thing that we see about gentleness, this fruit of the Spirit, the first thing we see about gentleness is it subjects itself to God, lines up under the authority of God. The gentle person recognizes his helplessness, his hopelessness, his sinfulness. The gentle person recognizes that he has nothing Nothing to bring to stand before God. No, no works, no goodness, no, no obedience to the law, no, no offering, no sacrifice. Nothing that he could bring before God to make himself worthy. He sees himself as God sees him, as a sinner, hopelessly lost, helpless to save himself. A lawbreaker, guilty, condemned. Bringing nothing, a poverty of spirit, broken over sinfulness, standing before God and recognizing his need for mercy, his need for grace, his need for God to show him compassion and mercy and to be gentle toward him. The gentle person confesses his sins, turns from his sin, and puts his trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, the Son of God, God the Son, who humbled himself and was obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. The gentle person is not trying to earn salvation through observance of the law. He knows he cannot. The gentle person runs to Jesus and finds shelter under his wings, recognizing his helplessness and hopelessness, and he puts his trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, in his atoning death and his glorious resurrection. And then he lines up under the authority of Jesus, submitting to him, subjected to him, not demanding rights or what he deserves, but serving the Lord Jesus in love. And Jesus, so, so the first thing we learn about gentleness is, is a person who is subservient, who lines himself up under the authority of God. And Jesus, the, the gentle suffering servant, invites us to come to him. In Matthew chapter 11, and he describes his own heart as gentle and lowly. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus issues an invitation to those who recognize their helplessness and their hopelessness. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And listen to what Jesus says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus came and submitted himself to the will of the Father, obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And Jesus describes his heart as gentle and lowly, a heart that is filled with kindness and grace. And he invites those who are weary and burdened, those who are heavy laden, to come to, to him and find rest. Jesus is gentle, and he teaches us gentleness. 
Gentleness is not something we can work up. It's not a work of the flesh. It's not something we can manufacture. It is produced by the Holy Spirit as He brings us conviction of sin and conviction of the truth of the gospel. And as we come to Jesus and take His yoke upon us, and we learn from him. So the second thing we see about a gentle person is a gentle person has a submissive and teachable spirit. Jesus uses a picture here of a of a yoke. And one of the words one of the ways the word gentleness is used is to describe an ox that has been harnessed. Gentleness does not speak of weakness, but it speaks of strength. The strength of a of an ox. An ox is strong, but that strength is not useful. That strength can be harmful unless that strength is put under a yoke, put on a leash. One writer describes meekness, gentleness as strength on a leash. It is not the absence of strength, but it is strength under control. And Jesus invites us to come and learn from him. The picture here is a, a, an older, more experienced, mature ox in a yoke. And the farmer will take a young, inexperienced, immature ox and put it in the same yoke as the, 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 the more experienced, the wiser ox. So that the young, immature ox may learn. And so Jesus comes and tells us to come to him and find rest. And that rest is not laziness, inactivity, but that rest comes from being yoked with Him and learning from Him and allowing our strength to become under control. And so, a gentle person is a person who is submitted to the authority of God, lined up under His authority, submitted to Jesus as Lord, and who is teachable coming to Jesus to learn the art of gentleness. And so a gentle person is a person who has a teachable spirit. In James chapter 1, verse 21, he speaks of this. He says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness or gentleness, humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so a gentle person has a teachable spirit. He recognizes he does not have all the answers, but he is willing to learn. He is teachable. And when we apply this to the, to the situation of the church, we, we, we think of one who is able to be approached, one who can, be, who can take confrontation without arrogance, without defensiveness, without pride. In our text, uh, Paul talks about in chapter 6, verse 1, the next passage, the next text uh, after the fruit of the Spirit, chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. And so those gentle people that they are to restore with gentleness, we'll talk about that next, but a gentle person is, a, is approachable, recognizing that sometimes there are things that I need my brothers and sisters to point out to me. I don't have all the answers. I, I am not all-knowing. I am not infallible. And, and, and so, therefore, a gentle person can be approached when there are uh, needs, when there is something, when he's caught in a trespass, or when there is 
danger. And we've seen that actually played out in the book of Galatians. You remember back in Galatians chapter 2, uh, Peter came to Antioch. Paul and Barnabas had gone to the church at Antioch, and uh, God had been pleased to make a prospering, fruitful work there. Large numbers of Gentiles were coming into the church at Antioch. They were responding to the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And they recognized that they could be saved by Jesus without becoming Jews and without taking the law upon themselves. And they uh, had this great fellowship in the church at Antioch. And so the, the Jews were allowed to keep their traditions. The Gentiles didn't have to take Jewish traditions. And the people came together in great unity. And it was a great and thriving, prosperous church. And Peter came from Jerusalem and, and, and celebrated the, uh, the church at Antioch. And, and, and willingly fellowshiped with the Gentiles. Those, uh, those Gentiles had come to the church and Peter had learned, you remember in, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter had learned that God had declared all foods to be clean and people to be clean, not because they observed the law, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter came to that church at Antioch and he joined those Gentile believers uh, with their Boston butts and their pork uh, rinds and all those things. And they were sitting there as they were having a barbecue and Peter was fellowshipping with those, with those Gentile believers enjoying the unity of the fellowship, eating food Jesus had declared to be clean with people that Jesus had declared to be clean by his grace through their faith, and things were great, and there was great unity. And then some guys came from Jerusalem. Some guys came from James to the church at Antioch. And when those guys came from James, those guys came from Jerusalem, Peter began to withdraw from the Gentiles. He began to pull back from that fellowship and wouldn't eat at the table with the Gentiles. And Paul confronts Peter. He tells Peter, you are not being straightforward with the gospel. Paul confronted him to his face in public. Peter's sin was public. People were watching and it was infecting others. People were following his example because he was the leader of the apostles. Even Barnabas was carried away and deceived and joined in the hypocrisy. And Paul confronted Peter to his face. And Peter received the rebuke. He received the correction. And, and we see that gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you read through the Gospels... Gentle is not necessarily a characteristic that we would apply to Peter. <laughs> Peter was, uh, uh, was, was brash, and Peter many times had to be rebuked by the Lord Jesus. And here Paul comes and rebukes Peter, and Peter receives the rebuke with a gentle spirit. And so a gentle person is teachable. A gentle person is approachable. A gentle person will will receive correction and reproof and even rebuke without being angry, without being defensive, without being proud, without fighting back, without striking back. A gentle person recognizes he does not have all the answers and from time to time he needs correction. A gentle person will recognize his tendency to be overtaken in a trespass and will receive one coming to him to restore. So a gentle person is approachable 
open to correction and reproof. A gentle person is teachable. A gentle person lines up under God's authority. A gentle person is, is teachable and will receive rebuke, correction. And third, a gentle person can give correction with a spirit of meekness and humility, without anger, without arrogance, without um, uh, condemnation. And that's what Paul says in chapter 6. If any man is overtaken in a trespass, you are spiritual. You are walking in spirit. You are led by the spirit. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So a gentle person is also able to give correction and to give rebuke in a gentle way with words that are used to build up and not tear down. Words that are used to edify and encourage and not condemn or destroy. Recognizing your own weakness. And so a gentle person is able to provide correction with a gentle and humble spirit. First and foremost, recognizing how many times we have needed gentleness from God. Uh, we have fallen short. We don't deserve God's acceptance. We don't deserve God's grace. We are sinful and helpless and hopeless and and and. And, and lawbreakers, if we got what we deserve from God, we would be cast into hell for all of eternity. And we have been recipients of God's gentleness, God's mercy, as he has called us to himself. As we've heard the invitation of Jesus, weary, burdened, heavy laden, we've come to Jesus and we have found rest and we have found him gentle and welcoming toward us. And he has gently called us to himself and we have been the recipients of gentleness and we need to be gentle to others and we also recognize our own weakness the, 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 the vulnerability the possibility the probability that we ourselves can also be tempted and so so that rebuke that correction is given in a in a gentle and humble way and so a gentle person can also give correction. He knows when there is something at stake that must be corrected. We see Paul. Paul, who is gentle. Paul calls himself the least of the apostles, the chief of sinners. And yet when he sees Peter, the leader of the apostles, being not being straightforward with the gospel, but being deceived and led astray and leading others astray and not being straightforward with the gospel and communicating in his actions that you have to embrace the law in order to be a full brother. Paul, the least of the apostles, the chief of sinners, sees what is at stake and rebukes Peter, publicly corrects Peter. And Peter gently receives the rebuke and the correction. So a gentle person is not out there looking for a fight. You know, when, and, and, and one thing is absolutely true. Conflict in the church is inevitable. There, there, conflict in the church is, is inevitable. It will happen. Because we are all sinners saved by grace. 
and, and we all uh, we all struggle. We all have temptation, and then we see in, in chapter 6, verse 1, it's possible for us to be overtaken in a trespass. It's possible for us to drift away from the truth. There will be conflict in the church. Conflict in the church is inevitable. It will happen, and sometimes there are things that absolutely must be addressed. And a gentle person is out, not out there looking for a fight, hoping to... Uh, 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 to, to, to get into an argument, wading into other people's arguments, but a gentle person knows when something must be said, when we must open our mouths and speak, open our mouths and say, thus says the Lord. When there's conflict in the church, we normally have two, one of two responses. You know, number one, we want to go hide. We run from conflict. We flee away from conflict. We wonder, why can't everybody just get along? Or maybe it's not that big of a deal. Now, that person's overtaken in a trespass, but they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll, they'll work it out. They'll, 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 uh, they'll come to repentance on their own. Or uh, someone is not being straightforward with the gospel. Well, that's not that big of a deal. You know, it's fine for Peter to eat over here with these people and not with, uh, not with the, uh, not over here at the barbecue, but over at the kosher feast. That's okay. It's not a big deal. So one response to conflict is to run and to hide. The other response to conflict is to be always looking for a fight. Out there, hypercritical, hyper, you know, quick to start an argument or, or quick to wade into somebody else's argument. Those are the two responses we typically have. But a gentle person, a gentle person is not looking for a fight. He's not out there uh, combative and always looking for someone to have an argument with. Nor does he run and hide when there's an issue that absolutely must be addressed. When someone's not being straightforward with the gospel or when someone is overtaken in a trespass, the gentle person confronts, rebukes, corrects. There's a time when it comes that we must open our mouths and say, Thus saith the Lord. Restore one overtaken in a, in a trespass. Confront one who is not straightforward with the gospel. A gentle person is never angry at the wrong time, but is always angry at the right time. And we see this play out in Scripture. You know, uh, uh, Numbers chapter 12, Moses is called the most gentle, the most humble, the most meek person on the face of the earth. And he is called humble. Moses is gentle. Moses is meek. But this is the same Moses that when God's glory was at stake, when God's people were caught up in idolatry, when they were worshiping a golden idol, and when they were uh, 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 raising up to drink and to, to dance and to party and to say that this golden idol is your God that's brought you out of Egypt, Moses, the most gentle, the most meek, the most humble person on the face of the earth, called people to himself. He said, anybody who's with the Lord, come to me and strap your sword on your side and go from tent to tent and kill your brother and your neighbor and your companion. And 3,000 people died, were executed at the command of the meekest, most gentle person on the face of the earth. Because God's glory was at stake. People were worshiping an idol. And, God, and Moses, the most gentle person on the earth, 
stood fast for the glory of God and gave command that the idolaters be executed in accordance with the law of God. Meek and mild and gentle Moses. But when Moses, in the context of Numbers, Numbers chapter 12, where Moses called the meekest person on the face of the earth, Moses was being attacked. Miriam and Aaron were coming out against Moses, grumbling against Moses. Moses didn't defend himself. Moses didn't fight back against Miriam and Aaron. Moses trusted the Lord to vindicate him. And God did vindicate him. And when Moses was, Miriam was stricken with leprosy, Moses prayed for Miriam and prayed that she would be restored and prayed that she would be healed and forgiven. And so a meek person will fight for the glory and the honor and the word of God. Always angry about the right thing and never angry about the wrong thing and never defensive and vindictive but entrusting himself to God when he is attacked. So a meek person will defend the honor and glory of God Jesus, gentle and lowly, leaving the glory of heaven, taking the appearance of a man, the form of a servant, becoming human in every way, sharing in our weakness, being obedient even unto death, even death on the cross. The most gentle, the meekest, the most humble man who ever lived. But when he went into the temple, the house of God, and he saw that men had turned the house of God into a house of merchandise. When, when, when men had turned the place that was to be a house of prayer to all nations to a den of robbers, Jesus took a whip, or took a rope and made a whip and drove the livestock out of the temple, took the money of the money changers and threw it out, threw it on the ground and overturned their tables. He said, zeal for the house of the Lord is eating me up. He fought for the glory and the honor and the truth of God. But when Jesus himself was unjustly attacked, he did not defend himself. When Peter took out the sword and, 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 and struck back, Jesus rebuked Peter and told him to put his sword in the sheath. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he was uh, uh, nailed to a cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He entrusted himself to God, and into God's hands he commended his spirit, and he trusted God to vindicate him. He could have called 12 legions of angels to come and destroy his enemies and to cast them into hell forever, but he did not. He endured injustice 
and entrusted himself to God who judges rightly and God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. And so a meek person lines up under the authority of God and he, and he lines up under the authority of God and he has a teachable spirit. He's a, approachable, open to correction and reproof and rebuke and also knowing when the right time is to confront and to rebuke and to correct. Gentleness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Strength on a leash. Strength in a yoke. Never angry about the wrong thing, but always angry about the right thing. When the honor the glory, the worship, the word, the truth, and the gospel of God are under assault. The gentle person will fight. But the gentle person will also endure personal injustice. Entrusting himself to God who judges rightly and trusting God to vindicate. The gentle person prays for his enemies prays that they will be forgiven that they will be restored and that they will be healed and so you see gentleness is a complex concept a complex fruit and the fruit of the spirit is gentleness it's not something we can work up it's not something we can produce. It's not something that will come through our effort. Gentleness is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our helplessness and our hopelessness, our poverty of spirit, our total inability to do anything good in God's sight, we see ourselves as God sees us, as a, as a totally depraved, miserable sinner, helpless and hopeless, unable to do anything good, anything right in God's sight. We see our need for God's mercy and grace. And we cry out to Him for forgiveness. We cry out to Him for cleansing. We cry out to Him to save us and we put our trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for our salvation, trusting in Him and Him alone. Believing that there was that we were so rotten, the only hope for us is for the Son of God, God the Son, to die in our place, to take the punishment, the penalty that we deserve. The only way to save us is for God to become a man, live a sinless life and die to take away the wrath that we deserve. cry out for forgiveness and then we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and brought into submission to subjection to God and we come with a teachable spirit as Jesus teaches us gentleness as the Holy Spirit produces his work we cannot work up gentleness it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit so the questions for us today as we consider the fruit of the Spirit being gentleness. First of all, have you recognizing, recognized your spiritual poverty, your need for Jesus? Have you cried out to Jesus for forgiveness? Have you put your trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation? Have you been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit? 
he had been brought in submission and subjection to God. And then second, do you have a teachable spirit? Are you approachable? We've covenanted together in the body of Christ and in the, in the church to, uh, uh, to watch out for each other, to hold each other accountable. If a, if a man among our midst is overtaken in a trespass, then, then we have a duty and obligation to, to approach, to, to correct, to rebuke, to reprove. And so, do you have a teachable, approachable spirit when someone comes to you with, with correction, even if it's a, a misunderstanding or miscommunication, do you receive that with, with, with humility, without pride, without anger, without defensiveness, recognizing that you are blessed to have someone who loves you enough that when you're overtaken in a trespass to come and seek to restore you. You're blessed to have someone that if you're not being straightforward with the gospel, you're blessed to have someone who loves you enough to come and tell you and warn you and admonish and rebuke and correct. A gentle person has a teachable spirit. Receiving words of admonition and warning and correction and even rebuke. And do you have a gentle spirit, not combative, not always looking for a fight, not, not quick to enter into an argument or wade into somebody else's. But you know, you know when it's right to be mad. It's right to be angry. When God's glory, when God's gospel, when God's word, when God's truth or God's child is in danger. It is right to be angry at evil. It is right to be angry at wickedness. And a gentle person will confront when there needs to be confrontation. He won't run and hide, but nor is he always looking for a fight, but he knows the right time and the right way. When one's overtaken in a trespass, he seeks to restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. When one's not straightforward with the gospel, Rebuke, correction, expose the hypocrisy, bring the sin into the light so it can be forsaken and repented of. Are you a gentle person? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ enough that when something must be addressed, we address it with a spirit of meekness and gentleness, a spirit of righteousness? And then finally, lined up under the authority of God and you can expect injustice. You expect to be un treated unfairly. You can expect to be lied about. You can expect to be persecuted. But the gentle person, when unjustly attacked, when assaulted himself, does not become defensive, does not fight back. Keeps his sword in his sheath and entrusts God. Trust God for his vindication. And trust God to judge rightly. Not fighting back, but willing to endure injustice and pray for those who persecute. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
praying for their restoration, praying for their healing. When we look at what gentleness is, we recognize we can't do that. We can't work it up. We can't produce it. It will never come from our flesh. It will never come in our own strength. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus invites us who have become weary by trying to work up gentleness, trying to do the right thing, being angry about the right thing, not angry about the wrong thing, and express our anger in the right way, in a way that's healing and helpful and not a way that tears down. We've tried to do that, and, and, and we're weary under that burden that we cannot carry. Jesus invites us. Come to me. Come to me who are who labor. You've worked at it and you failed. You're heavy laden. You're trying to carry a burden that you cannot carry. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Submit to Jesus. Have a teachable spirit. Learn from him who is gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The Holy Spirit produces his fruit in us. And the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word and for your truth. And Lord, we're thankful for your Holy Spirit that convicts us, shows us through your word how we fall short. And we're thankful for your word incarnate, your gentle and lowly Son inviting us to come to him and be forgiven and to learn and we're thankful that your son is also highly exalted as you have vindicated him and given him the name that is above every name and we're thankful that that gentle and lowly savior will also be the judge and will vindicate his children Truth and righteousness and justice will be done, and we can entrust our souls to Him. We can trust that He will vindicate those who have endured unjust suffering in His name for His sake. And so, Lord, help us to stand firm, help us to be gentle to love our enemies, to bless those who persecute, and to stand firm for truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I invite you to take this, uh, uh, this hymn, Grace to You and Peace, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.